Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps available to you also at 086 103 103. And let me start with a WhatsApp that has come in from uh, Michael on a topic that I was going to start the show and ask for your thoughts and views on. And this is to do with Michael D. Higgins. He is all over the papers today. And Michael says, Patricia, Michael D. Higgins' speech yesterday was an incredible speech. He condemned government housing policies down through the years as a disaster. Prior to saying uh, that he said, we formed a republic to get away from the British poor laws and what we have now more or less resemble these. He then goes on to paint a stark picture of the Irish landscape where one would walk down the street and see nothing but derelict buildings. We go into half empty villages around rural Ireland empty. Why? Because the banks have decided to leave, taking everything with them, having already made their profits. Patricia Michael de Higgins is the most popular politician in the country. He got an extraordinary mandate back in 2018. He is an eloquently gifted politician at understanding people. He's a national treasure. He's developed the presidency. He has made it into a different dynamic. The president according to Michael, is entitled to say what he wants. Furthermore, as I've repeatedly said over and over, the day that people were prevented from building homes on their own land in rural Ireland was the foundation stone for the housing disaster. Patricia, I note this morning that all of the relevant bodies now are furious with Michael D. But in reality, they should be furious with the state of the housing and the homelessness in this country. And that's Michael in uh, Castletown Bear. Michael is right ministers within the government were left furious yesterday after Michael D. Higgins made that speech describing the housing policy in Ireland as our great, great failure in what's now very much seen as a souring of relationships between the Oris and Leinster House. President Higgins was accused last night of having crossed the line and of standing on high marksand by some senior coalition figures. The president is facing a furious backlash today from the government with his pointed comments all the more uh, notable as the holder of the office traditionally steers clear of political uh, issues. Now to quote from Michael D, he says, it isn't a crisis anymore, it's a disaster. Adding that basic needs of food, shelter and education should 
be met by the state. One government minister said the president's comments raised eyebrows amongst ministerial colleagues. It was even described by some as embarrassing. Mr Higgins used the, the speech that or he used the speech. He was opening a new supported residence facility. Now it was for young adults who were emerging from homelessness in Kildare and he used that speech to say that the housing now isn't a crisis anymore. He says it simply is a disaster. One minister said that President Higgins' interventions are getting embarrassing. He says after a series of comments on issues ranging ranging from tech company boss Elon Musk to calling on Ukraine to become a neutral country, he says he just doesn't care anymore. He's more popular than the government, so he just does does what he likes. He didn't help out. I thought this was a bean dig. Now this this minister isn't named, uh, but he said he didn't help out during the pandemic. The only thing he did was he went on the late late show where he also attacked the government and that was during a brief period when the public was supporting the government. Another coalition source says we all know that housing is a massive challenge hence taxpayers' money of over $4 billion a year is going into it and of course there's another $2 billion now going into the MICA uh, families. He says the state is completely intervening to try to correct it. He says Michael D. Higgins crossed the line, stood on it as well as he was on the way over. However, some ministers declined to criticise President Higgins, even privately, saying that he received the highest vote in the history of the state and that the public like when he speaks his mind. As Michael points out, I mean, that vote that he got back in 2018, all of the other politicians could only look on with envy that any one individual could get the kind of vote that Michael D. Higgins got when he went for a re-election. Now, when asked yesterday about previous comments from President Higgins and stirred up controversy, the Taunishta, Leo Radker says, it was the President's prerogative to speak out. Now, a minister for the housing, a spokesperson for the housing minister, Darrell O'Brien, says he was very aware of the many challenges in housing. He said huge challenges remain. The minister does not underestimate those challenges, but is working with his government, his department, the NGOs and the stakeholders in trying to address it. Sinn Féin's Ono Brim said the President's comments are a statement of fact and they were a direct criticism of the current and previous governments. And then when, when Mr Higgins was asked for a further comment, he declined to respond I suppose his point is I said everything I had to say yesterday he was attending what was basically a a housing issue in that he was attending where that facility was being opened up for these young adults who were emerging from homelessness so you know homelessness was very much on his mind when he was preparing for that particular speech that he gave gave yesterday so he used the opportunity to have a right pop off the government was he right to speak his mind or should he steer clear of all political issues which is what other presidents in the past has done and that's part of the role of president that they kind of remain out of politics you know the role is is you know some people very much um see it just he's just at the figurehead of the of the state now a number of people commenting on Michael D Higgins and his speech uh, yesterday and I have to say just looking down through all of the comments that are coming in he certainly has the support of a lot of people here in uh, Cork Good morning Patricia totally agree with our president I don't see why he shouldn't have a voice he is our president at the end of the day and I definitely say he would have a lot more to say 
if he was given the freedom of speech. I say well done to Michael D. Higgins. Um, Kildallery Liz, Hannah in Kildallery says our president is our gift to the people. We have freedom of speech. They would never be allowed to speak like him. I am so proud of Michael D. Higgins. Massey says Sai Patricia those ministers who criticise Michael D. Higgins should be named and shamed. All he was doing yesterday was stating fact. Anne says Michael D. Higgins was right in what he said yesterday. Maura says bravo to Michael D. Higgins. No one else is talking about the critical issue that is impacting all of Irish society. Patricia, Michael D. is okay to shout out but maybe if he paid his taxes on his Galway home more money would be available for housing. Okay, there's a criticism of Michael D. Higgins. Maura says good man Michael D. About time the muzzle was taken off our president. The big boys don't like that. It's about time someone stood up for the Irish people. I had to put 30 euro worth of diesel into my car today and was told the government have 74% out of that. Well, they No, it's about 40% at the moment is what the breakdown is on the amount of tax out of every litre of diesel. I'll be getting to that a little bit later on in the programme. Uh, hi Patricia, Michael D is 100% right in what he said yesterday and furthermore he has more brains than the whole lot of them put to, uh, get together. And Councillor Declan Hurley says Patricia I was delighted to hear our president say what he said uh, yes, yesterday on our not fit for purpose housing policies and pre- previous government failures to d- address our change to meet today's housing needs. I stopped what I was doing and applauded him when I heard it. We need more of this. Well done to Michael D. Uh, Higgins. Okay, that's some of the WhatsApps that have come in to us. John in Carrigaline by text says it's great to see we have one decent man with a brain in the, his in this country. That man is President Michael D. Higgins. What a man. It's time we, we all stood up to this current government. And Noel says Patricia Michael D. 100% right. The government can't handle the truth and it's going to get even worse. This country is in an awful state. And a final one from John says Michael D. Higgins is only echoing what the public have been saying for years and years. It's time to listen to our president. Politics doesn't seem to be working in this country. We're only going backwards. Thank God there's a man at the top who has the guts to come out and say it straight. I salute Michael D. Higgins. What a legend, says John. Okay, that's just some of your thoughts and comments coming in on that speech that, I, that as I say, has left members of the coalition furious with President Michael D. Higgins. 0818 103 103. Let me go to the phone lines. This is on something completely different, but this is uh, an issue. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else, but uh, Philomena joins me to share her story. Good morning to you, Philomena. Good morning, Patricia. Now, How are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. You were coming back from a bereavement in England late on Saturday night. Yes. Now tell me what happened. And I got a fair shock. I, I pulled into the toll. I had my money ready in the car and I go in. Two twos, do you know? Yeah, this is the one on Watergrass Hill? Yes, it is. Okay. And I pulled in and I got out because it was about half ten, twenty to eleven. I said, I'd be afraid the money fall out of me. I got out, put the money in, heard it drop, right? Next thing is I got back into the car and no green light came on to let me out. And it says, owing 150. Now, I'm driving a Kia Seed car. Okay. And I got an awful fright. And the next thing is the car pulled in behind me, a man and a woman. And I got out again. And I said, he said to me, are you in trouble? Or I said, I am. I'm just going across to see if there's 
somebody in that boot there where it says amen. You know where it says yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He said, no, he said, there don't be anybody here at night, he said to me. And he said, did I press the button? I said, I did. I pressed all the buttons there, I said, even did. But the problem is, I said, I'm coming back. I said, from bereavement. And I said, I haven't got another two euros on me. So his wife said to him, Liam, put in the two euros. So that's, I would like to thank Liam. But when I came home, I got in a kind of a bit of panic in myself, wondering what would have happened if the kind man hadn't paid the one fifty for me. How would I have got out of it? Now, Halitic, the, the, the toll for a car is only two euro. It isn't three fifty. That's all, Patricia. That's why I had two tools. One for going and, and one, one for, for coming back. Through. Yeah, and yeah. actually, I I always do the same thing. If ever I'm I've occasion yeah. to, I'll always make sure I have the money ready. Yes, but the three fifty is for they're heavy goods vehicles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I didn't go. In, I was sorry, Patricia. I went into the second bay from the left hand side. On the very left hand side, the one is men's. It says. In yeah, but it isn't at night. Yeah. It isn't at night. I don't, I don't oh, know what time. Nice. It's it's only manned uh, up to a certain hour and then it's, oh. it's it's automatic. Did you get on to the company? I didn't. No. Okay. We might I we we might get uh, we might get John Paul uh, to send on an email just to see firstly how that happened. How did a car register as being a heavy goods vehicle? And why, yeah. why was it three fifty? And also, I think you're raising a good point. That if that could have been at two o'clock in the morning, somebody yeah. could have been going through with nobody around, and also it could be, you know. But so, there was nobody else there, only that man in that car. Yeah, and luckily that man was a kind, yeah, he caring man. In behind yeah, you. and that he gave you the money. He could easily yeah. have yeah. have not. Or... He, actually, he actually told me sit in and he put in the money. Well done, well done. And you don't know who Liam is? I don't. Lee, Liam, I, I, Liam and his wife, last. That's such a fright. I know, I know, last last, last, last The fire brigade, I'd have to be ringing or someone to get me out of it. Well, that, well that's it, yeah. I mean, who, who who do you ring? If if you don't have anybody that you could ring locally to yeah. come with the extra money, um, who do you, what, what do you do? And there's no I button to, in case of emergency or to call someone or... Well, I pressed all the buttons that was and nothing happened. Panel, and okay. nothing happened. All right, we'll get on to them. We'll get on to them and, and, and just see. All right, but you but got I, ho- you got home safe anyway. I did, and I appreciate that, man, because I was in upset enough. Besides all that happened, I know. You know, and you drove and you drove to England, did you? You you took no, the car. No, I didn't. I came from Cork Airport. All oh, right. Oh, you the car parked at the Cork, airport. Yeah. All right. We all right. Cork at half nine. Okay, yeah. and was it a, was it a fa- was it a family member? My brother. Ah, well, c- condolences yeah. to you. Condolences. Thank all right. Look after yeah. yourself, Philomena. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Just like to hear that. Yeah, perfect. You know. Yeah. Well, you've done it and you've done it very yeah. well. God Thank bless. You. Mind you. yourself, Philomena, there in Mitchellstown. Has that ever happened to anybody else that the two euro doesn't get accepted and they're telling you you're in a heavy goods vehicle when in fact you're in a small car? 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Demonstration to protest against the high cost of living will be held in the city centre this coming Saturday and the protest will be part of a national movement, according to Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould, who joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Patricia. Do, do you believe we now need a movement similar to what we had against the water charges? Yes, Patricia, I do, because... Um 
just talking to people every day. Uh, like I, I had a father who rang me last night. Um, he works full time. His wife works full time. They have three children. They're privately renting. They're not entitled to any state support because they're working. And um, he asked me could they organise a food hamper for him and his family. So this this is a family with two parents working. Um, and you'll have penny dinners now delivering a hamper to them today or tomorrow. And that's how hard. He said to me he's struggling to put petrol in the car to get to work. Uh, they have two cars. They're struggling to care for them. They're struggling now to look after the kids for the summer, to, to go to summer camps and bring them away and do things that all families will do and would love to do over the summer. So what we're dealing with now is you're talking about people who all... When we talk about poverty, a lot of people look at poverty for people who are not working, people who could be down and down low. What we're seeing now is people who are working, not being able to afford to pay their lighting, to pay their gas bills, to pay all the other bills that people have and put food on the table. And this is... I've never seen this. In all my years of politics, this is kind of going back to the 70s when or even even further, like so what we're see, what we're getting now on the road is people are angry, they're really upset because they're listening to the government saying that they will look at it with the budget in October. And families are saying we need help now. Yeah, and I had Katrina Toomer, Katrina Toomer, interesting that you mentioned her, I had her on uh, earlier on in the week and she, we were discussing this, a kind of a misconception when it comes to food poverty. We think of food poverty as uh, people who are unemployed, people who are living on social, social welfare. But, you know, your story about that man ringing you and I could just imagine it must have taken an awful lot of soul searching for that gentleman to even pick up the phone to say we need help with food. But there are there are a lot of people in that finding themselves in that position that the only way they can save and stop spending money is on food because all of the other bills have to be paid. And if they want to get out to work, they have to put the petrol into the car. And the thing about this is like, we know the government have done some measures and we know the government can't fix everything. We're, we're realistic. And your listeners who are listening to you this morning, they understand that as well. But what they don't understand is why the government are showing more leadership and doing more to help. We're not saying everything can be fixed because that's unrealistic. But what we are saying is that measures should be targeted at people who need it the most. That more, yeah, because the government will constantly, you know, come out with the different measures, you know, the electricity credit that they gave. They gave additional fuel allowance. There was a cut in public uh, transport. But what you're saying and what a lot of people are saying is, well, that is great. It's not enough. More needs to be done. Well, you you have people now who didn't need those energy credits, that money towards their energy bills. The 200 euro. Yes. What we are saying is that 200 euros should be targeted to people who need it. Like, we have a proposal now to give 200 euros to everyone who's under top, uh, who's under top 2,000 and 100 euros to everyone who's under 60,000. That's a targeted measure. We're also talking about having uh, a rent freeze. We're also talking about putting a one-month rent uh, tax rebate back in people's pockets. We're also looking at reducing the cost of childcare by two-thirds. 
totality of like another marvelous book I read at the moment. I, I was speaking to a lady last week who's taking the kids in up what because the cost of going to work, the cost of childcare, the cost of diesel, she'd be better off staying at home. And what you have now is your couples, males or females deciding which one of them would save more by staying at home. Like we need we need people working in the state. And what we have now, like I listened to the talks that come out last week and this week and say there are two and a half million people working in the country and that's fabulous. But there's no point in having people going to work if they're living in poverty. There's no point in having people going to work if they can't put food on the table and pay their bills for the family. So we have to make work here and we also need the government to step up now and say, listen, the ERSI said this week that the government needs to tackle doors or support doors for more vulnerable. And when we're talking about more vulnerable, we're not talking about uh, people who are on the breadline. Pensioners, I was talking about pensioners, the pensioner came over to my office on, on Tuesday, so on Monday, sorry, to tell me what is the government going to do for pensioners who are really struggling. And the other thing, Patricia, like, we see the cost in uh, public transport, which is great. But for a lot of people who live in rural areas... Yeah, it means nothing. Like, means it means nothing. nothing. Yeah, it means and, nothing. And, and just, you might be able to um, address this as well. The Minister for Social Protection, uh, you know, when, when she was asked about people who were struggling at the moment and, and, and putting targeted measures in place, exactly what you're talking about, she was at pains to point out that the local community welfare officer is there to help. And I know I've heard ads that running, certainly on radio, I've heard ads saying to people, if you are really stuck and, and you're really struggling, you can go to your local community welfare officer and there's a hardship fund there. Well, Melissa was on to us this morning to say she rang her local community welfare officer. She was looking for help with her diesel and they were told that that's not covered under the scheme. Yes. yeah. And so how it, is that working? Well, listen, we had Minister Raymond Ryan, the leader of the Green Party, came out and he told people to contact yeah, that's yeah. She 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 quoted Minister Eamon Ryan on the phone to her local community welfare officer, and they said they've no knowledge of that scheme. Can can I say this? No, I think it is very unfair on the local community welfare officers. They have a really tough job, and at the best of times, we struggle to get money for families who really need it because they are under so much pressure about the money they allocate, and then to have government ministers coming out and making these sweeping statements with no funding allocations to them, with no updated criteria, and then you have these community welfare officers inundated with calls when they have no support. I think it just shows you where this minister is and this government is in when they make a statement like that, and you know, people at the front line community welfare officers saying, they must be saying to themselves, how are these people? Is this minister completely out of touch with reality? Like, so there is, there is a hardship fund there. There's a limit on that hardship fund, is it? Well, well Patricia, we've been going, we've been sending people for this this hardship fund now. Yeah. Right? It, it is given to people who are in dire need, for, is my understanding. But you see, some people aren't, some people know things are so bad, they cannot pay bills. It yeah. is there are people this week who cannot pay bills and they're looking then at how much petrol or diesel they can put in their car to get to work get the kids to school, to get the children or someone to a hospital appointment. Like, I, I, I know a lady, you know, she's not put any, she cannot afford to put heating oil into a tank and she's hoping she's trying to do it out for the summer, right? No, I 
you know the summer is here, but early is not that type of a place where you're going to have a beautiful hot summer for the whole summer. It's it just that's not the country. There are older people who will who will need to use their heating throughout the summer months. That's the and reality. This, and this lady I'm talking to is a pensioner. She's living alone, and she told me she's a Thomas. I don't have the money to put oil in the tank, and that is the reality, especially. Uh, for elderly people, but it's no effect in families who are working. The future. Imagine how hard it must be for parents when their children are looking to go to a summer camp or they're looking to go away, and you just don't have the money to bring them or to put these in the to raise them or to pay for it. And people are really angry, and that's why we're asking people to come out on Saturday at 2 o'clock to show their support because we need to start sending the message to the government so that people are hopping and people are angry and people need support. Oh, do you think a, um, a mini budget is what is needed, Thomas? Yes, and that's what Pierre Storty has been calling for weeks and we have in Lou MacDonald. We need some targeted action you know, to come up with a plan and say, listen, let's get people over the next couple of months and we'll bring forward here. I vote them here. We need to tackle rent, we need to tackle heating oil. We know the government can reduce the cost of petrol and diesel if they want to, but they're choosing that way. And some people are suggesting the government are keeping their um, their proposals until the winter when they know things are going to be very bad. But the problem, what the government don't realise is Things are bad now, yeah. And this whole notion of waiting until the October budget to announce anything, what you have to remember, the October budget for 2023, so anything that will get mentioned in the October budget, unless it's an increase that will come in from midnight on that night, everything else will be targeted to 2023. People will not want, for example, increases in social wealth, they won't kick in until next year from the October budget. That's right. And that's why we need a mini-budget. Mini All we, right, we so the protest that. is this Saturday. Where, where are people congregating and what's the plan? We're, we're meeting at Brown Thomas on Patrick Street at 2 o'clock. Okay. Uh, we're, like, we're hoping that it'll be one hour. So we're, asking, we're, we're not asking people to come out today. We're, we're going we're to be there. We'll have a few speakers. Uh, we're going to walk. Uh, we're we're going to have a, a, a march and protest. Uh, calling for people to support and to join in and then we'll finish up with a few speakers so like between the two of me uh, Don O'Leary we'll have workers here we'll have some of them there the UCC Students Union so we'll, what we have because this crisis this cost of living crisis affects people students pensioners the families it affects everyone Okay, and just by the way, a couple of people are asking me because we've been we've opened the phone lines on this earlier on. Michael D Higgins and he yesterday describing the housing policy in Ireland as a great, great failure, and that it isn't a crisis anymore; it's a disaster. Some people are wondering on your on your views on it because reading the papers today, seeming the coalition government ministers are furious with Michael D Higgins. Was he right to speak out? Yes, he was. And the one thing I think the Irish people, when they, when they voted in Michael D. Higgins for two terms, they showed the trust they had in the president. We, we probably felt the president could have been more vocal, but we understood that he was, he was trying to, to act presidential and keep it in his remit. But it tells you how bad the situation is when the president of the country feels so strongly that he has to make the statement. 
And the one thing I think about Michael D. Higgins is everyone recognizes that he's been an excellent president. Yeah, nobody can take from him. No, so nobody can take he's from above, him. He's above reproach when it comes to his integrity. So when he made that statement yesterday, I think the whole country said, President, you're right. Okay. All right. Listen, Thomas, we thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Sinn Féin, uh, Cork City uh, TD, Thomas Gould. Um, The social welfare officer, Helen, says a couple of years ago, uh, I was out of work. I had two children at the time and I needed to go to my local social welfare office because I needed help. He said to my face, isn't it a fright to be poor? It's a few years ago, says Helen, but I will never, ever forget those words. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We were reporting on our news service yesterday. Plans for the 800 million euro retail centre in Carrigaline have been put in jeopardy again because of objections from the Office of the Planning Regulator. Joining me with his concerns, local councillor Anthony Barry. Good morning to you, Anthony. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. And firstly, condolences indeed to you and everybody at uh, Cork County Council on the sad, sad passing of one of your former uh, colleagues, uh, Noel Collins. And look, Patricia, I'm heading down to his funeral mass now. Noel was a legend, um, in Cork County Council, but all over the East Cork region and indeed nationally because, you know, to serve us 50, 54 years as a, a public representative. Incredible. Is an it's incredible. And, uh, you know, for a man that uh, didn't adapt to the new technologies or anything, it was amazing. He was able to top the pole every time he went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was known as the father of Cork County Council, so he'll be grandfather, missed. Grandfather, yeah, grandfather, the grandfather, actually. was it? <laughs> he'll be missed by so many. May he rest in peace. And once again, our condolences uh, to Noel's uh, family and to everybody at Cork County Council. Now, the plan here is for a Kildare Village style retail centre for East Cork. We've been talking about it now for a number of years. Had the council not sorted out objections raised by the Office of the Planning Regulator? Well, Patricia, that's an interesting one because twice we've um, we've recently won high court cases um, on this issue and I've no doubt there's going to be a judgment again found, I think, for, before the end of this month and I've no doubt we'll win this as well. Um, so, obviously, the Planning Regulator and indeed the Minister um, isn't listening uh, to the judiciary and to the cases there and they are uh, appealing again on the case that there should be a joint retail strategy between Cork City and County Council. Uh, and has like that I'm been more. mentioned before? It has been mentioned before, but um, I suppose really every time there's a dispute between two neighbouring local authorities, does that mean that, uh, like we work very, very closely on, on the case of the housing strategy which was re- recently published on CASP, uh, and, and there is obviously uh, an issue on this um, uh, on this issue, but you know, we in Cork County Council are elected to represent the people of our area and our constituencies, and we're doing that as best as we can. And uh, you can't just, you know, listening to a third unelected body coming along and stating, "No, we don't think this is right," and uh, you have to have an agreement between the two authorities on it. And is the the retail centre? Am I right in saying is it, is it contained in the county development plan? You see, we variated. Uh, we put a variation into the old county development plan. To allow just to allow planning. I mean, this is Patricia. You need to realise this is only to allow planning. Mm. Go ahead. There isn't even a planning application gone in yet, and we have a very robust planning uh, process. And, um, 
you know, at least let it go to planning. And then if it's found to be in contravention, uh, let it fall on that. But I mean, at this stage of the planning regulator and the minister just saying, no, you can't even go through a planning process on this. And this is a 800 million euro investment uh, on the outskirts of Cork City. Um, you know, it has a huge tourism. We all know what Kildare. Um, 100%. We know what that has done for the entire area. Yeah, and you know, there's an excess of 800 people working in Kildare Village. Um, there is an, a, a concern about sustainability. There's a concern about, um, you know, what would it do to the city centre. However, I would make an argument that if you walk down Patrick Street, the city centre at the moment isn't exactly booming from a retail perspective. Um, and you have to ask the question why. And I, I don't think anyone that understands retail outlets um, centres and how they operate realise very quickly it's a different type of offering. Uh, completely a different type of offering. And the simple fact is, uh, Patricia, if, if this is lost to Cork, it will end up going to another part of the, the country or potentially out of the country to another area. Yeah, is that, is, I mean, is that a real fear that, I mean, if there's continuous delays, developers will just pull out and will decide, oh, look, we'll go somewhere else? Because there's any part of the country, any, I'm assuming any local authority in any part of the country would take the hand in all off you to have a development like this in their area. Do you mean to tell me that if the potential this was coming to Limerick, that they wouldn't They'd jump? Be course, they would. They'd be thrilled with it. They'd be thrilled with it. Yeah. But I mean, there is, one would have to question, you know, it, it is, there's a much broader, deeper uh, question needs to be asked here. And that is the influence of the Office of Planning Regulator, which is a relatively new office. It was an office that we understand why it was put in place is to oversee the planning and, and the planning guidelines that they should be followed correctly, understandably so, and rightfully so, because we all know things were abused in the, in the past, the recent past, in fact, in the planning um, area. Uh, so we understand that. But however, I would feel strongly at this stage that the Office of Planning Regulator is now going away too far. And when it actually decides on even the housing densities in a village like Carrington, um, I think that's pushing it too far. When it decides on uh, a site in Bantry, when it's deciding on sites in Corn for my, that's just wrong, plain, fundamentally wrong, and it's a complete undermining of local government and the democratic process. Have they even been to visit these areas? Do they even know how to, how to get there? I can I can see texts coming in uh, saying that. And any plans for you as councillors to meet with the Minister for Local Government, Darrell O'Brien, and hopefully try to allay his fears? Well, we're having a meeting uh, ourselves uh, about this issue um, on tomorrow week. And I would say, as a result of that meeting, I've no doubt that um, Minister Darrell O'Brien and Minister Peter Buck will be contacted and asked, you know... You see, the, the problem with this entire process, if they go against a decision made by the Office of Planning Regulator, they then have to stand up on the floor of the Oireachtas and in the Dáil and explain why they've gone against that. And, you know, that's a very, very sticky wicket for any minister to have to do. So the Office of Planning Regulator is a relatively new office. Uh, all of a sudden, he's flexing his muscle very, very quickly on issues like this. And obviously, uh, our Oireachtas members are very, very slow to take him on. Okay, and it, it does feel like a little bit of a vote of no confidence in our elected councillors, doesn't it? It's a completely vote of no confidence yeah. in the entire local government system right across the country. And Cork is not, by the way, just to stress the point here, Cork is not the only local authority which issues with the planning regulator as a result of the development plan process, which is now ongoing right throughout the country. Cork happened to be further down the road. 
as our Dublin City Council and Dunleary Rathdown, who also have issues with the same office. Okay, well, we'll, that's an issue we certainly will return to, um, Anthony. um, I'll let you go. Uh, Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Of course, today we give away another family pass to the Cork Summer Show, which is back next weekend, June 18th and Sunday, June 19th. Your chance to win a family pass, two adults and four children. We'll give you a question a little bit later on. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I can see a lot of commentary still coming in on Michael D. Higgins and his comments yesterday that has left the coalition parties absolutely furious for Michael D. Higgins describing the housing policy as a great, great failure. He says it isn't a crisis anymore. It is a disaster. Mary in Maham uh, contacted as, uh, as an example of something that could be done to help with uh, housing some people. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you have you know of houses that are idle in your area for Absolutely, yeah. for, for how long? Um, the one on my left is idle for four years. The one on my right is idle for two and a half years. And what's wrong with the houses that they're idle that long? Not a bit. Not a bit. They came in. Council came in, they cleaned them, they rewired them, put all new doors, new central heating. They're better than what I have. And I'm living in between it. And they've obviously been offered, but nobody wants to live there. Is that the I reason? Don't know. I don't know. Have they been offered to anyone? I don't know. But like, if people are crying out for houses, there'd be some family that are living inside in a car or inside in town in a tent. They'd be more than happy to come and visit. It's a beautiful park. I live in a beautiful area. And you've got families living in hotels in emergency accommodations yeah, as, as, as well. But absolutely. you've got a problem in that you're living in the middle of two empty houses. Mm-hmm. And you've, I'm seeing on the screen, you have a problem with rats. Yeah, because they came the other day and they cleaned the house on my right. Now, I'm, I'm elderly. Well, I'm 60, but I have a broken hip and a broken leg. 60 is not elderly, can I say, but go yeah, on. Well. <laughs> go on. <laughs> on. But, um, Thank you, Patricia. They, you know what I mean. They I'm dis- on my own. Yeah, they I've disturbed. Got beautiful, I've got a beautiful house. My house is spotless. I go there every day. I've got a little dog, so I've got no hose in my back every day. But, but, but the rats have come because they've disturbed they, the soil. They disturbed the soil. They cleaned them all. Some, they didn't clean it all. They cleaned some of it. Yeah. And, and have you the reported rats. the rats? Yes, and do you know what they told me? It's Italian's problem. It's my problem because I have rats in my yard. I said, no, it's not my problem. I have a tenancy agreement. Yeah, and you, uh, my yeah. yard is fucked. So, yeah, and it's because of the work that's gone on in in the other in yeah. the other in the yeah, other part. The idle house that's there for two and a half years, and the other one that's the other side of me three and a half years. Okay, but it's just okay. We'll get on to the. That's you're under the city council. Yes, city council. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can find out why two houses would be lying idle that long because we're told it, that the voids are not there, that they do them up and they get them out and, the, and they rent them out. It's they just, don't, they don't. All right. Because I could, tell, I could give you six addresses that all the houses are idle around Matin area because I walk my dog every day and I can see all the houses lying idle. So I have one on either side of me. That's two. And I can walk around 
I can tell you four more that are ready. So you're saying there are years. there are houses there that people would there willingly move into. There. All right. Okay. Listen. Thank you for that, thank and thanks for highlighting it. Uh, good morning. That is Mary in uh, Maham. A number of uh, callers in from listeners who are citing that their sons and daughters can't afford to buy a house and saying good on President Michael D Higgins for speaking out. Kitty said, uh, "My son," and she said she knows of others have been forced to move back into the parents' home. They simply can't afford to rent a house. Never mind consider buying a house that day will never come for so many uh, people and there's a number of people actually making that same point. Nora in Carrick Navarre says I don't know where Michael de Higgins has been for the last 10 uh, years when this housing crisis was getting worse and worse. He didn't offer any great solutions. It's the people like Father Peter McVerry and Sister Stan who are really doing uh, the great work we have people getting evicted every single uh, day. Uh, Hi Patricia I question do we need a president at all he appears to have no power this country is messed up big time I think things changed when we entered the euro I yesterday listen to this I yesterday had to sell my car I can't afford to keep it going I now have no car and I have a young family I'm feeling really really uh, fed up and that's from a listener in the North Cork area that's that that, isn't that an example of the high cost of living at the moment Michael D Higgins says another text was perfectly right to speak his mind. He is our president and in my opinion the best we've ever had. I'm sure the government would love a figurehead of a president but good on him for speaking out. He should have even more power and then tell those little men who are governing how to do their jobs properly and the way they're supposed to do it. My message to Michael D. Higgins this morning is thank you. He seems to be looking out and after the people of Ireland. Dermot says Michael D. was right in what he said. He has given the Minister for Housing a job to do for the next 12 months. Let's see how he gets on. And uh, lots of others uh, similar to that very much agreeing with Michael D. Higgins. But let me go to the phone lines because James Imbrury is not agreeing with Michael D. Higgins. Morning to James. Good morning, Patricia. You think our Michael is making a fool of himself? I think so, yeah, because he actually, um, he's like a person in a team criticising the team. He is at the top table and he has the final say with his bureau to sign up on bills and he's done all of that. And people have been evicted because he signed the bill. If he stood up and said, I won't sign that, this is not in the interest of housing or, or of, uh, of families and so on. He never done it. This was the bill to, I, I don't know which bill you're quoting, a bill eviction, to... Eviction bill. OK. Because uh, the, our, our Minister of Finance went to, England, uh, went to Europe and he said, I have a problem with the bank. They said, go home and start out your bank. So they legislated, right, for to have people evicted and give the banks back to the houses. And that creates um, homelessness. And they've done all that and they've sold those houses to um, all kinds of funds. Sold them off. Okay, so that's one area of housing that you reckon Michael D. Higgins could have. But what about the building of houses? Yeah, well, you see, they they legislated not to build houses back in the 90s. He wasn't the other time. But what I'm saying is he can't have it both ways because um, we've had very bad leadership uh, with regard to not building houses. That was very, very short-sighted because the HAP bill at the moment is about a billion, right, uh, per annum. Uh, the, the HAP, that's the... The, the housing assistance, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. and that's taxpayers' money. And we didn't have that kind of thing before. We had houses built and there was reasonable rent and there were, they paid the rent in accordance with their income. 
So, so you think Michael D. Higgins should, I mean, he is, he, the office he holds traditionally steers clear of political issues. I mean, our, our presidency is, uh, is a figurehead. Are you saying he shouldn't come out and point out what's, what's wrong? Regardless, leaving the legislation aside, do, do you think he was wrong to have pointed out the well, housing he crisis? Pa- he was part of the hierarchy that created the system we're in now. Because of legislation, but it, but but, but, but all of our all of our housing is but but all of our housing crisis isn't just down to legislation that's been passed. Well, you can't do anything. Part of it is part of it is, but not all of it is. No, everything has to be um, legislated for, go through the Senate, and go to the president for finalisation. It always has. It's always like that. That's a democracy. Yeah. Now he was the final pin, as I said. He never says said anything at the time. I was amazed at some of the decisions, like like evicting people is not in anybody's interest. It's one of the oldest things in Ireland. We had it in the British times. It doesn't fix anything. Yeah, yeah. And and actually he mentions that we're back to, we seem to be back to the laws of, of where, we, where we were under uh, British rules. So you're saying Michael D. Higgins either stays quiet or he should do something. Well, before you open your mouth, you want to have your homework done. And the thing is, like, he lives in a house with about 70 rooms in it. And has he offered any, any rooms to any Ukrainians or any refugees or anything? No, I know a number of people have asked. Actually, just on that, because we, we constantly hear that from people, where are politicians offering rooms for refugees? You see Leo Varadkar and his partner, Dr. Matt, have taken in a Ukrainian refugee. Well, fair play to Leo, you know, and he's talking to say yeah. he made an example of it and giving him a room and that. And I see them last night uh, on, on my Facebook and they had a nice meal together. And I was often, I was wondering when I saw it, I said, God, there's people out there and they're actually living off of food banks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she look, we just had a caller there had to sell her car yesterday, leaving her now with a young family and no car because of the cost of living. I mentioned earlier there's this protest on, on Saturday. Do you think we need a movement like what we had for the water protests against the water charges? Well, well in fairness, like we've had plenty of politicians shouting the all about wages and minimum wages and everything. And there was no, nobody listened to them. And so I was glad to hear Leo yesterday talking about, the, you know, the, the living wage. But yeah. he's talking about 2026, like, my God almighty. I know, you see, that's what we're going back to. People can't wait that long. We, people wait people need we help now. <laughs> OK, all right, listen, James, thank you for that. And, uh, right, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And actually, just on a, on a completely different uh, issue, somebody was on earlier to say, Patricia, is the world gone mad? The WHO, the World Health Organization, is changing the name of monkeypox because it's deemed racist. Would they ever just keep looking for cures for for diseases? All this PC stuff really gets on my nerves. And thank you, thank you to that. Uh, this is no name on that uh, text. But the World Health Organization have come out. They came out yesterday. They will officially rename monkeypox in light of concerns about stigma and racism surrounding the virus. The virus now has infected over 1,600 people in more than two dozen countries. The World Health Organization came out and said they are working with partners and experts from around the world on changing the name of the monkeypox uh, virus. And they say um, that the, the it's similar to what happened when to give it, it its correct title SARS-CoV-2 
that that was the name that the World Health Organization gave to uh, COVID-19 because at the time, remember when back in the start of 2020, 2020 when we were starting to hear about this virus coming out from China, it was known as the China virus and then for a period of time it was known as the Wuhan virus because it started in uh, Wuhan. So they they then decided they needed to officially designate it and give an, a, give an official title to it and it was renamed SARS-CoV-2 and it's with that on that sort of ruling that they don't like the the fact of any virus uh, the name of any virus that they change the name of it so that it doesn't minimise it doesn't cause negative impact and it avoids causing offence to cultural social national regional professional or ethnic groups so they're they're trying to come up with a more appropriate uh, name and seemingly they've other diseases names that run counter to the guidelines including things like the swine flu and the swine flu has been called the swine flu for quite some time they don't like it named after animals either but they they say that it can cause racism and that it uh, is causing offence and because of that they are getting together now and they're trying to come up with a new name for the monkeypox we will let you know when the World Health Organisation officially come out with the new name for the monkeypox. In the meantime, we will be referring to it as monkeypox. And I think on the last count, there was nine official cases here in Ireland amongst, they're all men so far here in Ireland that have been confirmed and diagnosed with monkeypox. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. A CE position is available for an outdoor maintenance person. It's for Castle Freak uh, Trails. Call 085-257-9501. Design Pro Automation, they're a company based in County Limerick. They're recruiting a technical writer for installation documents, operation man- manuals and part lists. Experience office administrator also required. CVs please to careers at designproautomation.com. Ahern Dental Clinic, they're based in Wilton. They have a vacancy for a dental nurse. CVs, please, to Clinic at gmail.com. And the Connacilty Park Hotel, they're looking for a night porter. CVs to mcarolyn at connacilityparkhotel.ie. You'll find all the details and more job vacancies by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Over the last number of weeks, we've been highlighting the high cost of car rental in this country with many of our listeners citing absolutely crazy quotes for family members over overseas trying to book a car for a visit back home to Ireland. Some tourist operators have contacted us and are already saying it is and will affect tourist numbers coming here for holidays this summer. So to chat about an alternative to com- commercial car rentals, I'm joined by Kevin Lochnan of a company called Fleet. Um, good morning to you, Kevin. Hi, Patricia. Thanks you, for having me on. Well, well, you're very welcome. Now, uh, Fleet is... The best way to describe you is you're an Airbnb style car hire company. Can you just outline how your company operates? That's exactly right, yes. Um, Fleet is a peer-to-peer car rental platform and we kind of facilitate rentals between private individuals, mostly, 
Um, so basically, you know, if you have your car and you're not using it seven days a week or some people have a spare car sitting there, um, you know, everyone knows cars are a depreciating asset and they cost a lot to maintain, especially in this day and age. So if you can make a bit of money off that car, you know, why not? Um, and what you do is you take a few pictures of it and you set your daily rate, upload it onto fleet, and then you might get someone nearby that needs a car for a day or two and they'll rent it off you. Uh, that's basically how it works. Now, we do have a few independent car dealerships as well that are jumping onto the platform as well because, um, you know, they see the opportunity in the rental market and they can see that the, you know, the big companies are, are making a fortune, as you said, and unfortunately maybe taking advantage of the situation. So they're able to supply cars as well to their local communities at more reasonable prices. How long have you been in operation? Uh, we launched in 2017, um, so what's that now? Five years. And, honest, and, and um, then, how does the just explain how the insurance operates? Yeah, so that was the biggest obstacle. Um, the company was founded in 2016, and it took about a year to 18 months to get the insurance um, completed. Uh, and and like that, it, it is a bit complicated. But we were very lucky that AXA Ireland. Uh, saw that there was potential for the product and and they had great belief in in what we were trying to do. So they actually put together a unique uh, insurance product which allows people to do this on our platform. Uh, Basically what happens is the person who is renting the car pays the insurance. So, for example, if you were to rent your car to me, you'll set your daily rate, what you want to receive for that vehicle, based on obviously what you paid for it and other considerations like that. And then when I rent it, there's an additional charge added to that fee of sort of somewhere between kind of 8 to 15 euros a day sometimes, depending on the size of the vehicle and maybe the driving history, age, etc. Of the, of the person driving. So if, God forbid, there was an accident, the car owner's personal policy won't be affected in any way? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you go through the same process as usual and, you know, Obviously, you don't want to be um, driving carelessly and liability is is um, judged at the scene of the accident, and etc. But the actual owner of the car, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're compensated for the loss of the vehicle and as usual. Um, so it, it's completely covered and fully secure, fully comprehensive and breakdown assistance 24 hours. <laughs> you've, you've covered uh, everything in that for sure. Who's eligible to rent one of the cars? eligible I think uh, sorry I should double check this but I think it's 21 and over okay. in terms of the age and then the vehicles are restricted so they have to be 13 years old or less and they can't be over two and a half litre engine size uh, and so based on those kind of parameters that's how you get your daily insurance rate so let's say it's a kind of a 22 year old and they're renting maybe a two litre engine vehicle they're going to be paying the kind of the upper end of that daily rate, so maybe 15, 16 euros a day. Uh, whereas if it's a smaller vehicle and a, a more experienced driver, they'll probably pay around eight or nine euros a day on the insurance. Okay, and then obviously you need to have a full Irish license or European license. Yes. Yeah. Um, all of the EU. Yeah, we're all covering the whole all, of the EU yeah. now on the on that platform. Yeah. And then when once you hire the car, then can, can you take it up north? Can you, you know, there's no limit on 
How, how, anywhere how within the island, yeah, you can't take it off the island. Okay, yeah, so any, anywhere within, within. So it's, it's specifically, it, I mean, it will definitely work for the number of families who've contacted us who've got loved ones coming home for periods yeah. during the summer. And they, 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 I mean, some of the prices they have been cha- been quoted are just off the Richter scale. Like on average, yeah. on average, how much are your cars costing per day? Oh, well, yeah, no, uh, significantly less. And I guess part of it is, you know, if you've got family coming home, they don't need to be driving a brand new vehicle. You know, so some of the vehicles there, they're maybe three or four years old and they're still excellent quality. But obviously the owner can then charge a bit less because they, the car isn't worth as much anymore. So you'll get 30, 40 euro daily rates. Yeah, um, and yeah. obviously, if it's a family member and you're doing them a favour to rent it, you could even maybe drop it down to twenty, twenty-five. If you, you want to go last, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking like um, a, a 2014 Volkswagen, seventy euro a day. Somebody else has a 2015 a Volkswagen for forty-five euro a day. I mean, they're they're way off what you would pay to 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 yeah. the rental companies um, at, at the moment. And are you looking for people to hire out their cars? We are, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, no, we need we need kind of suitable uh, providers uh, of their vehicles. So if people do have a car that you know it's it's unused or very rarely used, we'd really encourage them to put it up. And at least you can claw back some of that expense. Like you know, um, it's because it's a big it's a hassle to sell a car. You have to go through a whole process, and then you might realise that you did need it again a couple of months later, and next thing you're having to go and buy a new one. So rather than do that, why not rent it out, cover the costs, and then maybe you, you you may need to use it more often again in a few months. So it's a nice way of bridging that gap. Okay, so jointhefleet.com is your website. That's it, yep. Yeah. And, and pe- you can download the application in the App Store. It's Fleet P2P. We'd probably recommend people do that. The, the app is probably a little bit more... Um, user-friendly and, and, and then you can get notifications straight to your phone when someone requests a car to rent. And and then you arrange to, for a pick-up, for the pick-up point? No, it's all done. So, it... so that's kind of the beauty of the app is, as you're saying, the prices are, are set by the individual. So, you know, you can't be too outrageous with your prices or no one's going to want to rent it. But it is up to you at the end of the day. So you can kind of play around to join the right point. And then the pick-up and collection is all set up in the app um, what happens is if someone requests a rental and you accept this it sends the location to the renter with the Google Maps link so they can actually find their way straight there uh, or you can arrange to deliver it and you can set a price so if you decide I'm happy to deliver this car anywhere within say 20 kilometres you can set a price for delivery of 20, 30 euros or something to cover your cost. So it's very flexible yeah, and there's loads yeah. of options to suit everyone. Yeah. How busy are you? Very. <laughs> <We're> just, <laughs> and that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Thanks. Yeah, well, it's great. Like, it's unfortunate, obviously. There's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of inputs into the reasons why the rental prices are shooting up, but there's no doubt that people are taking advantage of it. Some of the companies are unfortunately gouging. Um, tourists and, and family members coming home. So, um, you know, it's uh, not the best way that we have seen a huge uh, boom in our business. But at the same time, we're, we're happy to be providing a valuable service to people that need us. 
Well done. Well done. Uh, Jointhefleet.com if you want to find out more uh, about it. Listen, Kevin, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning yeah. to you. Bye, uh, bye, 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 bye. And and I think if more people decide to rent out their cars and upload their cars onto that website, I think they are really going to take off, particularly uh, this summer. Uh, Jointhefleet.com if you want to find out more. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The C103 Street Fleet. Coming your way soon. Meet the C103 Street Fleet at the Cork Summer Show this Saturday and Sunday, June 18th and 19th at the showgrounds. There's loads happening for all the family, including arts and crafts, cooking demos, play zones, live entertainment and loads more. Join the Street Fleet this Saturday and Sunday at the Cork Summer Show with C103. By the way, just on James, who joined us earlier this hour in Brewery, who was critical of Michael D. Higgins for criticising the government. And James pointed out that at the end of the day, Michael D. Higgins signed various bills into law that is adding to the housing crisis. Dennis wants to point out very correctly that the president cannot veto a bill that the Dáil and the Senate has adopted. All the president can do is he can refer it to test it constitutionally. If the court upholds the bill, then the president must sign it into law. If, however, it's found to be unconstitutional, then and only then can the president refuse to uh, give his consent. But on a basic level, the president must sign any legislation he's given into law, whether he agrees with it or not. That's from Dennis. Thank you for pointing that out, uh, Dennis. Uh, texting 0862103103. Now, as part of the Cork Midsummer Festival, Irene Kelleher's new play called A Safe Passage will be staged in the Firkin Crane this Friday night. The play is set in a lighthouse in 1979 before the automation of lighthouses and joining me to chat further is the author Irene Kelleher. Good morning to you Irene. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well, I'm really fascinated uh, by this because I love uh, lighthouses. I'm assuming, have you always had an interest in lighthouses and the people that lived over the years in lighthouses? I have. They've always been a huge source of kind of awe and wonder to me because when I was a child, we always went on holidays to Venus. My grandmother was from Kerry and there was a beautiful lighthouse out in Venus that you can see from the pier, but I could never actually get there. So I love walking there with my mum and dad, but never being able to get out there. So that makes it even more kind of a place of, you know, wonder and God imagining what life is like inside and who lives there. I spent most of my life wanting to get inside one. And then in 2016 was the first time I actually stayed in an Irish lighthouse. I stayed in Clare Island Lighthouse off the coast of Mayo. And it was August, but it was Ireland and the weather was terrible. So I read, there was a lot of journals there and books. And I read the old journal of a lighthouse keeper that was stationed there. And one of the lines that he said was, he prayed not a soul came near him the whole time he was stationed on the rock. And I just found that fascinating that that line I thought who who was this man and why did he want to be so isolated and live alone so it was really that line then led me into you know imagining who this character was and eventually led me into the story of the play because it is a very 
isolated existence. Do, have, you, have you an understanding now of what motivated people to do that kind of work? I do. I and mean, the thing is, I did a lot of research then after once I decided, OK, I think it's worth exploring this character and this story. So I read a lot of old journals of lighthouse keepers, but it was really when I interviewed former lighthouse keepers and I went to stay in Galley Head Lighthouse um, in West Cork. And the house manager there was the former lighthouse keeper, Gerald Butler. And just listening to his stories and staying there and, and being there, actually, it was March 2020 when I stayed there in a really weird twist of fate because I had a bit of time off. I was um, on tour with another show. And obviously no one knew at the time what March 2020 was going to bring, but I was actually there in the lighthouse when lockdown happened. So I ended up staying a lot longer. And that sense of complete isolation, like you feel like you are alone in the world and then the sounds of the sea, and especially when it's stormy, you're alone with your thoughts. So as Gerald said and other lighthouse keepers I interviewed, you you need to keep yourself busy and also there's only a certain kind of person that could could live that life because I suppose you need to be quite strong in yourself and um, you know have distractions and have have other things to keep you busy because it's the uh, you're just alone with your thoughts. Yeah I've always imagined that people who lived and worked in lighthouses were great lovers of books. Absolutely uh, yeah. and making ships and bottles and you know a lot of them would have been kind of carpenters as well and making things and reading and everything like that to keep busy because there is obviously a lot of work as well but there's a lot of time with yourself so a lot of lighthouse keepers would have had hobbies and bird watching was another another big one So did you did you get to chat and interview many other former lighthouse keepers? I did I did which was amazing because obviously when you play a set in 1979 and by the 1980s all lighthouses were automated so it was a huge period of change as well for, for lighthouse keepers but a lot of people who were working as lighthouse keepers they now manage the houses because you can't stay in Irish lighthouses now which is fantastic so you know the ordinary people can get a, a feel of what life would have been like for the light keepers. Now you've set the play on New Year's Eve 1979. Yeah so it's obviously 1979 because it's that period of change it's going into a new decade and why it's New Year's Eve is um, our director, Jeff, summed the play up beautifully. I think he said it's about ghost, grief and guilt. And I think there's something about New Year's Eve, especially if you've um, suffered a loss uh, and are missing somebody, that New Year's Eve can be the toughest time yeah, of the year. Absolutely. It's not the birthday. It's what my mum always said, we lost my dad a few years ago, and she said it's not the birthdays, it's the anniversary. It's New Year's Eve, it's the toughest night because you're leaving behind another year from when you were with that person and going into me. And that always stayed with me. I think New Year's Eve can be a really tough time. It's a time of hope as well and resolutions and all of that. But it's also a time of letting letting things go or feeling like you're leaving things further behind. So, so that's why it's New Year's Eve 1979. <laughs> so the, the lighthouse keeper, Christy, you've called him. That's right, Christy Reardon. He's, go, he's going through so a bit of a tough time himself. Yes, yeah. So he has, he's at heart, he's a, he's a good man, but he's made mistakes and he's kind of run from them a bit. And this is the night where he has to, to deal with it, either move forward or face his past. So 
it's an important night for him. And then, <laughs> and then a, 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 young, appears, a young woman yeah. appears. Yes. So a young woman appears on the rock who has her own plans for this New Year's Eve. And they both really have the same plans for the night that's in it, but they disrupt their own plans. Yeah. And they're stuck. It's, the storm is outside and they're stuck inside the lighthouse. And they're two completely contrasting characters who are kind of forced together and forced into small space to make conversation and to bear with each other and disrupting each other's plans. So, and that's how the play then, the play then un- exactly. unfolds from there. Exactly. I saw a, a clip that you put up on, on YouTube of the main character, Christy, played by Seamus O'Rourke. Right. And, and you know, I, I, well, do you know something? I, wa- I, watched, <laughs> I watched him yesterday and I just thought, by God, could you have been a lighthouse keeper? He just, yeah. he's the look, doesn't he? <laughs> Completely. Even when Gerald Butler, the actual lighthouse keeper, met him, he said, God, you couldn't have found a better Christie with first all of Ireland. So very lucky to have him. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 a, he's great, great fa- and I, I imagine a fabulous um, actor. And did you get... You, when you were writing the play, you kept Gerald Butler very much in the loop. Very much. Yeah. We've become good friends since I, I met him first in March 2020. I've done so many interviews with him because I had read his book. He's a fabulous book called The Lightkeeper. And as part of my research, his books was one of my sources. But it was just completely different actually being with him in person and hearing his stories. And he was stationed a long time at Fastnet Lighthouse, which yeah. is kind of the mother of all lighthouses. And he described what it was like being in Fastnet when a storm, a really bad storm happening. And I remember listening to him and the hairs were standing up at the back of my neck. It was just magical. So really hearing those stories and seeing his face light up telling them gave me so much more than a million books could have done, you know. So the interviews were really, really great. And he's been a huge source of um, support throughout the whole production and all the different drafts. I sent him draft one of the play, kind of just for authenticity and things that I wanted him to, to see that only he would know. Well, that that wouldn't happen now if you were like Keeper in that. So he's been a huge um, sense of support. The well, done, well done. And you used then most of the pandemic really to put this play together. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. so it, it was originally going to be on uh, last year, for last year's midsummer. But in a way, it was kind of nicer that we had a longer development time and allowed the play to breathe. And a lot of readings were done on Zoom between myself and the director and Seamus and then all the creatives as well, the sound designer and lighting and everyone. So we had a long time to put it together, which is quite nice to have that time. And also as well, of course, the experience of lockdown and isolation and restricted yeah. and that, that added to it All as well I added my own yeah. understanding yeah. and, you're, I sh- and I should have mentioned you're more than just a playwright you're also an actress you're the you're playing the part of the young woman I am yeah. I am yeah. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> which can be its own challenge as well sometimes you just separate I, I kind of have to be the actor in the room sometimes and leave the writing brain behind but easier said than done. Must be hard for Jeff Gould, the director. Yeah. Have, yeah. He's got a big cast. Yeah. He's the one I need to be asking, saying, how hard was that? Uh, they're her words at the end at the end of the day. And I know you have, I think, a, a lovely goal for this play. You would love to stage this play in every lighthouse in Ireland. Well, my, my goal is, my goal originally was, uh, I would love to put this play on in a lighthouse. I think it would be an amazing experience for the audience and really 
something really different and you wouldn't even need set dressing there. It's just, you're, you're there, you know. But obviously, um, it would be a, a big task and you, it would have to be a very restricted audience. But I'm not letting go of, of don't, that goal. I don't. think it was right for the premiere, so we're premiering the Firk and Crane and it's in the downstairs space, which is circular and it's perfect because as soon as I walked in, I thought it looked like the engine room in Galley Head. But I still am going to keep my goal that someday we might get to perform it in an actual lighthouse. And it would be, it would be brilliant. And by all accounts, the inside of every lighthouse is the very same. It is, yeah. So yeah. all the um, the ones that are working lighthouse that are automated, they all pretty much look the same in the inside. Yeah. Like the engine takes up the bulk of the space, you know. So there'd be a lot of um, re-blocking with staging and everything. But I still think it's possible. So how are you feeling about Friday night? Are you nervous? Oh, absolutely terrified. I... Really excited. All all of the feelings coming together. All of the above. All of the above. Especially because we've lived with it for so long. I've never, you know, had lived with a play for this long and had it in development for as long as this, going on three years, you know. So it's exciting well, to have it finally come to fruition. It sounds it sounds like just a one day. We wish you luck uh, with it, uh, Irene, and the best and of luck. It is, it is sold out on this run, but we will bring it back again. Okay. All right. Well, good good to know that you're sold out for Friday night. Good luck with it, Irene. Thank and it was a pleasure too. talking to you. Thank you for that. You too. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That Bye. is Irene uh, Kelleher. Brand new play called A Safe Passage. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Our Cork, the Cork Summer Show is back this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. This, of course, is a family festival. It is an extensive range of activities, uh, ranging from show jumping to pig racing. There's cookery and craft demonstration. Of course, lots of trade stands. There'll be live music every day. And there's a kid zone that'll keep the children happy with even a fun fair. And if you want to check out more about this year's summer show, then you can go to the corksummershow.com. Every day this week, we've got a family pass to give away. It entitles two adults and up to four children to enter for free on either the Saturday or the Sunday. We have a summer-based question for you. Answers, please, only by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We want you to name the location where the Australian TV show Home and Away is based. Name the location where the Australian TV show Home and Away is based, bearing in mind that all of our questions relate to summer. Where are we talking about? Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and then we'll make a draw from all of the correct answers and one of our lucky listeners will win that family pass to go along to the summer sh- to the summer show this weekend. The location for the Australian TV show Home and Away. Get texting and WhatsApping on that. And by the way, when I was talking with Irene Kelleher about her play, set in a light lighthouse. It sounds absolutely uh, fascinating and I mentioned that uh, she's not just a playwright, she's also an actress in her own right and she's actually taking part. She plays the female part in the play. That prompted somebody to say, Patricia, is Irene Keller from Cork and did she play a part in The Young Offenders? I don't know if she was in Young Offenders but yes, Irene in her own right is a fine young actress and if you Google Irene Kelleher's uh, name and her picture comes up on the INDB which, you know, shows 
those all of the acting roles that she's played in the past she's got one of those really youthful faces that really work very well in period drama so I wasn't surprised to read down through her credits that she's done a lot of period drama she was actually she played a part in one of the episodes of Game of Thrones in the 2015 um, episode of one of the episodes of the series of Game of Thrones where she played the inn waitress but she's done a lot she's had a lot of uh, parts and actually post-production is the Ulysses Project where she's played Molly Lolly Bloom that was filmed last year and it's in post-production at the moment so yes she is from Cork and I thought I mentioned that at the start and maybe I didn't so thank you for pointing that out uh, to me now I want to go to uh, an email that we have have in because since we've been talking about housing and I can see there's a lot of commentary in about housing this following email just really sums up how difficult it is for some people at the moment and people really struggling to keep or put a roof over their heads just wanted to ask you please would you be able to put a shout out on your programme and ask your listeners would any of them know of a house to rent in the North Cork area ideally in the Rathcormac from Moy areas. So Rathgormach for Moy areas. We have lived in the same house for over six years and we've actually lived in the area for over 10 years. We've put down roots here and it's where we have ra- are raising a family. I'm employed in the area also. Recently my landlord was getting the house valued, he said, for insurance purposes. As I'm not a stupid person, I started to have a little bit of anxiety about him, about it. I rang him and I asked him, was he planning to sell the house? And he assured me and continued to assure me over a matter of days that no, he had no intention of selling the house. The day came when the person called out to the house and my landlord asked, did I have any questions? And I asked him again, will I be homeless by Christmas? And he said, absolutely not. And he actually put his heart and swore he wasn't going to sell the property. And he actually did this in front of my child. As I'm a trusting person, I took him at his word. That was on a Friday. The following Monday, he messaged my partner to say, yes, he was indeed selling the property. I've now been trying every hour on the hour looking for houses in the area as my daughter is on a list for creche and play school and she's also going forward to be assessed for autism. So it is vital for her development that we stay in this area. Our doctor, the health nurse and the area medical officer all agree that staying in the area is so important for my daughter as if we have to move she'll have to start at the bottom of all of those lists again. I'm not looking for a handout. I'm just looking for somebody to help me secure a home for us. Thank you for taking the time to read out this letter and it's just signed. A very worried, stressed and depressed mother. Isn't it? God, if you're not, if this young mother is not going through enough at the moment with a daughter being a little girl being assessed for autism and all the worries that come with that as well without now faced having to move out of the area and then even moving out of the area where are you going to move to where are you going to find a property so a shout out please does anybody know or is there any landlord out there that has a property for rent in the North Cork area ideally Rathcormac for Moy areas please can you make contact uh, with us and then we can put you in contact with this young mother who has contacted us so that's really hope and pray and I know we often get calls in from people saying is there any properties to rent etc but I don't know what it is about this particular email it's really it's really has gotten to me I'm just thinking of that poor mother God
God help her. And the fact, I don't know what the landlord was playing at. Why, why wasn't he just honest from the very beginning? But to be stringing her out saying, no, 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 no intention of selling. And then to suddenly turn around and like, almost a barefaced lie on a Friday to put his hand in his heart and say, I'm not selling. And then on a Monday, what he suddenly changed his mind over the weekend. And I know he's entitled to do that, but God... There are so many people stuck in situations like that. Anyone living in rented accommodation at the moment lives with that constant threat that one day the landlord might come knocking and say, I have decided to sell. So please, if there's anybody there, can point us in the direction of how we can help out this little family. Please do. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking the calls on that. Or you can text or WhatsApp to 86 And then just staying on the holy issue of housing seeing as we've been we kicked off the whole subject of housing because of the comments made by President Michael D. Higgins and the backlash now against Michael D. Higgins by by members of the uh, government. A listener says what about single people like me? I earn too much to qualify for a council flat but yet I don't earn enough to get a mortgage. So there's somebody that's stuck in the rental property and the high cost of rent and then always having that, not the security, ne- never having the security of knowing when that person could have to start looking for another property. Yeah, and you're not alone. There are many people caught in that situation as well. Uh, Micah says, Patricia, I want to reiter- reiter- reiterate again that the 1963 Planning Act needs to be shredded and rewritten for today's society. Otherwise, no political party in this country will rectify the housing. Changing governments will not build houses. It'll only put their building further down the road. People should be allowed to build houses in rural Ireland in areas where they were born and raised as they were always able to do. Meeting ministers to listen to more gobbledygook is only a waste of time as it has been down through the years. People in rural Ireland today are being treated like second class citizens. There is a ferocious tsunami of anger building in this country and I shudder to think of the consequences when that anger boils over, says Michael. Hi Patricia, this is on council houses that are vacant. This was kicked off by the lady who contacted us from Maham. Houses on either side were vacant, one for three and a half years and one for two and a half years. I know of a council house in Cookstown that has been idle since January of 2021 so now well over a year. What a disgrace when people are looking for houses. Barr says, I live in Horgan's building that's just off the magazine road in the city. There are at least six empty houses in this area. One of them has been vacant since 2017 at least, says uh, Burr. And then coming into us by uh, text in the last um, hour. Um, Hi Patricia, at least when the war is over in the Ukraine and the Ukrainians are gone back home, there'll be plenty of accommodation for Irish people, says the Femoy listener, trying to put a positive, take a positive out of everything that's going on at the moment. Hi Patricia, there are houses in our local area that are empty for ages. There are lots of families wanting these houses, including myself and some of my family members. The houses are ready to move in to, but once again, the council don't seem to be in any rush to allocate these perfectly good houses. It is awful. I feel at times it's as if they don't care. And that's signed a very vexed Irish man. And I know whenever we get on to either the city or the county council, we're told that there isn't many vacant houses or voids as they've told them. Now we have dealt with issues in the past where houses have been put up for rent and of course they have that choice based letting system now where the people on the council list go onto the website and they decide whether they want to live in that house or not and they put their names forward. 
and we know there's been a problem with that in the past that people put their name forward for a house they go through all the vetting procedure and then when it comes to the moving in they change their mind and then the council have to re go back out again and start to look for somebody else and so on. but I don't know that can't explain a house that's been vacant for three and a half years and uh, two and a half years and John says Michael DeHigan said yesterday that our housing uh, crisis is a disaster why do the government continue to invite refugees and emigrants into this co- country do we, when we don't have enough for our own people people is it not time to look after our own says John and again I point out the government we don't nobody invites refugees to come to this country refugees arrive that's why we never know from one day to the next how many refugees are going to be arriving and I don't know what you mean about immigrants coming into the country we have obviously people Irish people who worked abroad and come back to live here and then we have people from other countries who come here to uh, work to take up uh, jobs that are available as so many Irish people have done and continue to do Irish people leave our shores and go abroad for work as well so I don't I'm, I'm a bit confused when you say immigrants are being invited into this country 0818103103 can you get your gardening questions into us as well uh, please but just hold off on the gardening questions have I a winner yet on the competition no I don't have a winner yet ok just hold off on the gardening questions by text or whatsapp because they'll get lost in the middle of the competition you can call John Paul though if you have a gardening question to 0818 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie An open air mass for deceased residents will be held in Cannonsheen's place in Mallow this evening at 7pm. Family, friends and previous residents all welcome to attend. A novena to the Sacred Heart will commence tomorrow Thursday um, on the 16th of June running through until Friday the 24th of June 10am to 7.30pm daily at the Sacred Heart Church on the Western Road. It'll be led by Father Paul Clayton Lee. A Mallow Corpus Christi procession will take place this Thursday following Mass in St Mary's Church at 7.30. Everybody is invited to take part, especially children who made their first Holy Communion this year and their families. The procession will end with benediction in the Church of the Resurrection and householders and businesses along the route are please asked to decorate their premises. Bingo is on in the GA complex in Mallow this Friday, 8.15. They have a jackpot of €1,500. And Clonakilty Camera Club will launch their annual fundraiser for the community air ambulance on Saturday, half past seven, in the Celtic Ross Hotel in Roscarbury. Members' photographs can be viewed and purchased on the night and throughout the fundraiser. They will be on display in the Round Tower. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. We have our winner and it is Magella Jennings in Rossmore. Congratulations to you, Magella. And the answer we were looking for was Summer Bay is where the Australian TV Home and Away is said to be uh, based at uh, Well Done. Magella Jennings in Rossmore winning a family pass to go along to the Cork Summer Show this Saturday and Sunday. We have another pair of uh, tickets to give away to the show tomorrow. And of course, we're bringing all the festival headliners to your back garden once again this year because the C103's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen on our app or you can go to C103 
ie. We've been talking about rising fuel prices and I'm still reeling from the listener who contacted say she sold her car yesterday. She simply cannot afford to keep her car on the road and she's now left without a car with a young family and she said nothing they just, just cannot afford to uh, keep it and it seems reading the papers today that thousands of people are cutting back on their food shopping so that they can put fuel into the car the record high levels for petrol and diesel mean a third of people are now spending more than €100 Euro a month filling their diesel car this is all from this new survey that's out from the AA the price of a litre of motor fuel has passed €2.20 in many forecourts all over uh, the country. The AA survey of 4,200 drivers reveals that 27% of recipients say now they spend more than €100 and another 34% say they spend more than €100 a month on diesel. Now this survey was carried out in early June so if you carried it out today that figure would be even higher because the prices have gone up which would mean based on the current prices the cost to fill a petrol car has gone from €100 to €108. The record prices of petrol and diesel has meant that 42% of the people that were surveyed said that they now, what they now spend on their weekly food shopping has actually been affected. Half say the cost has forced them to cut out fun, all kinds of fun and pleasure activities for their family. And of course the cost of filling a typical family car with petrol has now gone up by €11 that was just in the past two weeks. It will now cost €750 more this year to fill a petrol car than what it would have cost last year. The AA based their survey on a typical car with a capacity for 50 litres of fuel. So a full tank of petrol, €11 more than it was two years ago. If it was a diesel car, it's €5.50 more than it was two weeks ago to fill that car. And because of the rising costs, 10% of motorists now have switched to walking instead of driving and 9% are actually admitting that they are now using public transport instead. And when the, the people take part in the survey were asked what would help with the rising costs. 37% say they wanted to see the reduction in VAT from the government. Others want to see the carbon tax reduced. Others say they want to cut to excise a duty. And a quarter of the respondents want all tax removed from fuel and they reckon that way it would help help consumers to cope with the soaring uh, prices. And then looking at taxes and taxes and levies alone on €2.20 for a litre of any fuel, diesel or petrol. 90 cent of that goes in taxes or levies. So that works out at just over 40%. So if they were to remove, if, if at the stroke of a pen, the government decided they would remove all taxes and levies, you'd be paying 90 cent per litre less at the pumps. A third of people want a temporary price cap introduced. Others want more incentives to buy electric cars. The problem with electric cars is they just cost so much. And when asked if they'd be holidaying at home this year, a third of respondents said less likely to stay at home. And they've actually cited the high cost of motor fuel because if you decide to holiday at home and you've got to drive anywhere, people are saying it literally will cost too much. The AA said that we are now reaching very worrying levels in terms of fuel costs and the survey show that the fuel costs are also affecting other areas. I mean, an issue we've addressed because we live in an island 
everything has to get delivered to the island and then around the island so everything is going up in uh, prices. Fox Pop that was done yesterday on the cost of running petrol and uh, diesel cars and take a listen to what some people had to say yesterday and how much they are about the rising fuel costs. There was four tractors in the yard, 100 horsepower. Each of them tractors was costing us 87 euros a day and more for fuel alone. And we can't sustain that. Where it's going to end, I don't know. I'm paying out a couple of hundred a week more these. Because I'm on the road every day. You know, where's it going to stop? I can't work from home. I can't, I can't. The public transport is not, it's not a thing. And I can't cycle to work either. No, no, no. There's no sort of buses straight direct to, to where I work. So, but yeah, it is at this point in my only option. I think the government does need to sort of cap it. The moment it's a terrible thing to say. I, for my belief, that a working person now is worse than a person on the road. By the time I take my diesel out of it, my insurance, breakdowns, tyres, every week, a person, a married man on the road with two children, is better off than me. He takes home after the road more than I earn. Diesel for your Jeep or your car has gone over two euros. Diesel for the tractors is shoving around 140, 145 feet at the moment, so it is. And their talks are going up more. We can't, we just can't stay going on the way we are. You can put the likes of me or small lads out of business, that's it. It's going to be over. The price of it is just out the door. You know, it's out the door. Come down here, like I'm money, what? 40 miles away, cost you 40 quid and that's your, you know what I mean? There you go. I think summing up how a lot of people feel, both workers and uh, people just uh, who need the car to get from A to B. And if you're living in a rural area, as that w- one uh, woman pointed out there, she'd love to be able to jump on a train or a bus or the Lewis to get to work. But obviously, if you're in a rural area, public transport isn't always available at the times you need it to be available to get to and from uh, work. OK, get your gardening questions into us, please. Peter Dowdell will be joining us in a couple of minutes. If you have a gardening question for Peter, I would love to hear from you. Hi Patricia, this is some of your texts in about the lack of housing. I was out on my bike a few months ago. I came across a ghost estate, plenty of houses, uh, empty uh, housing estate that was never completed. It was near Drumahan in Mallow. It looked to me like about 20 houses just left to fall apart. Are there many ghost housing estates where the houses are half done? Could they not be done up and could people not be put into uh, those uh, houses? And then on the monkeypox being renamed that I mentioned earlier, the World Health Organization has come out yesterday to say that the monkeypox is going to be renamed because it is offensive and there are concerns about stigma and racism about the term monkeypox. So they're working now on at the, at the moment, working with partners and experts from around the world on changing the name. And they'll get back to us as soon as possible when they have a new name. That's prompted an interesting text from a listener says, will we have to stop calling, will we have to drop German from German measles? I know the correct title says this texter is rubella. But the majority of people will call it German measles. The world has enough problems to be getting on with that they need to solve uh, first. The only thing is with rubella, a.k.a. German measles, thankfully that's nearly eradicated now because of the MMMR, which is an important, I know it's a, a childhood illness that doesn't really affect 
children don't get very sick when they used to get German measles but it's the knock-on effect if they come in contact with anyone who is pregnant that is the real uh, danger but yeah I mean I imagine if the World Health Organisation was to look at that they would absolutely say you, you're not allowed to say German measles it is called rubella and one wonders where that name came from was the first case in Germany because that's usually how it was, it was like the Wuhan virus and of course the Chinese were taking grave offence to the virus being called the China virus or the China virus as President Trump used to say and the Wuhan virus and that's why the World Health Organization were pretty pretty quick to get in there and to rename it because they didn't want it to cause offence to anyone and they're going to do the very same now with the monkey pox virus it is to be renamed 0818 103 103 let's turn our attention to gardening if you've got a gardening question still time for you to get your questions in text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, joining us on a sunny Wednesday afternoon, and hopefully it's sunny wherever you are. Good afternoon, to you, Peter. Always sunny in Cork, Chris. Yeah, that's it, that's it. We're in for an, a, a couple of nice days by all accounts and we're not getting this very excessive heat wave that's going to hit parts of England and certainly down around Spain and France. They're in for a real scorcher for over the next few days. They are, and you know what, I'd rather what we're going to get. I, 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 I wouldn't fancy that extreme heat now, to be honest. No, no, and that and it wouldn't be good for the gardens either. OK, let's get straight in with questions. Anne says, and I think she says it's a hydrangea, but I think with the predictive text, it's come out as something else. Uh, I planted a hydrangea after buying it, water and fed it. When there was a frost, I covered it with plastic and then take it off in the morning. Still leaves in January or February disappear and I'm left with nothing. Now, I do have rabbits in the garden. Could the rabbits be eating them. I've just got another one and I'm going to plant it and leave it at the, in front of the house instead to change the position. Well, if it is hydrangea, first of all, I think you're probably doing a bit too much of the mollycoddling. It doesn't need any of that. That um, It needs watering and feeding, obviously, but it, it doesn't need to be kind of covered in during the winter or anything like that. Um, the fact that it doesn't have leaves in January, February if I'm reading it right, it is normal. So don't worry because the hydrangeas are deciduous. In other words, they drop their leaves for the winter, but obviously it should be coming into leaf now. Um, if it's a relatively new plant and still in a pot, then the most likely culprit actually is underwatering if it didn't come into leaf in the spring. So it's very possible underwatering. However, there is another possibility, and this is something that often happens with people. There are indoor hydrangeas, which are sold, obviously, in office house plants and indoor plants, which you'll get in flower shops and things like that. So you do need to be careful what you're buying and where you're buying. Uh, not that there's anything wrong, obviously, with buying, obviously, enough of buying plants in in uh, flower shops and things like that. But you just need to make sure that what you're getting is an outdoor variety of hydrangea. I, that may well be what the problem is here, that it was too cold for it. If it was out during January and February and it was an indoor variety, then that could well be it. But um, maybe send us on a picture and we'll just have a look or maybe just send us on some more some more information and we, we'll see if we can get to the bottom of it. OK, perfect. Stay with hydrangeas though because, hi Peter, <laughs> if setting hydrangea in a bed, what else would you recommend to a company which would be suitable for similar soil type? Okay, well, before I get into the actual nitty gritty of what to plant in, that the, when you say similar soil type, 
that does depend on the soil type. You say similar, but I don't know which one it is. So hydrangeas will grow in in all soil pHs, but the pH of the soil will determine the colour of the hydrangea. So in other words, if it's an acid soil, you'll have blue hydrangeas, but if it's limey or alkaline, then you'll have pink. Now, uh, then all, all, all that goes out the window if you're dealing with white hydrangeas or if you're dealing with something like Annabelle or, or Limelight or any of those ones, then that's the pH then becomes irrelevant, okay? But, so they also like quite a damp soil, ideally a damp soil, but they'll grow anywhere, as we all know. But, um, so all that being said, that will kind of determine which plants we plant with it, in whether it's a limey soil or an acid soil. However, what I would be conscious of when I'm putting in a hydrangea, because it's deciduous, as I mentioned, so it's bare for a few months in the winter, I would, what I plant next to it, I would make sure that I'm putting some evergreen plants in next to it, maybe underplanted with some, if it's an acid soil, maybe some um, Japanese azaleas, some evergreen azaleas or some heucheras and things like that, which will give good leaf colour and they're evergreen. So they're there when the hydrangea is gone. If it's not acid, if it's a limey soil, you could even try some hebes or some euonymus or even some broom, which will be spring flowering. Um, because they're all a bit of evergreen interest and, and flowering at different times of the year to the hydrangea. So you see, to get the garden right or to get a bed right, it's all about, well, it's about several things, Trish, but one of the things is continuity of colour. So you don't just have a big shot of colour for the three months when the hydrangea is out. You also want colour in the spring and you may not have flower colour, but you do want some leaf interest during the winter. So uh, because that's deciduous, I would mix it with some evergreen plants as well. Um, but but I, we could probably spend all day just on that question alone, so I'd better move on. Okay. Uh, Mary wants to know, is now the right time to take laurel cuttings? Pretty much, yes. Uh, I, I'm going to say yes. You might be a week or two early, um, but what you're doing is taking this year's growth, so you maybe just give it an extra week or two for the for the cuttings to thicken up a small bit. Uh, you do want this year's growth, and you want a cutting about four or five inches in length, one pair of leaves on the top, base of the cutting should be at a node which is quite simply where a leaf meets the stem into a bit of rooting powder and they'll root away quite easy the only reason i'm hesitating is because the, the, that cutting growth if you take it like now like today it might just be still a bit a bit young and a bit thin uh, to to sustain itself if you like until the roots do develop so maybe give it a week or two but anytime then kind of july august september should be fine hi says a listener i'm wondering if i can move rose trees that I got last year they're growing in pots but they don't seem to be doing as well this year and I'm thinking maybe they need to be planted out if so is now the right time to move them on I'm thinking you're probably right roses of, of all plants they don't tend to thrive in pots they're, they're quite hungry plants so the more nutrients they get the better they're going to do and obviously if they're in a pot they're quite confined and, and a very finite amount of nutrient um, so yeah I would say that probably is the reason do plant them out when you're planting from a pot into the ground, the time of year is largely irrelevant, Trish, because there's no root disturbance. So now is a fine time to move them out. They'll thank you for it no end, I'd say. Give them a, give them a good rose food, something like the Goulding's liquid rose food is what I would use, but any good rose food uh, and a good, um, you know, give them every chance of success. Line the hole with a good amount of organic matter, like compost, be it homemade or shop-bought or farmyard manure, anything. Just give them a very good soil to move them into. But uh, you could do that now, yeah. Tom, Tom is growing uh, gooseberries. Uh, he says, my gooseberries are turning a reddish colour. Any idea what would be causing that? It didn't happen last year. I was going to say, dare I say, is it a red variety? <laughs> um, which is probably the, the likeliest form of it, the likeliest reason. Um, when he says it didn't happen last year, so I'm just wondering, are they only two years old? 
my guess is that it's just a red variety. If they're if they're producing fruits uh, and all, I presume it's the fruits that he says are turning red, not the not the leaves. Um, I would it's just imagine it's just that's the t- the type of variety. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that there was a red variety of gooseberries. Are they well, it's not really red, if you like, but it's a, there is a red tinge to it. Yeah, yeah. Are they sweeter or something? No. Do you know I don't no. like gooseberries, so I can't answer oh, that. Oh, I love gooseberries. <laughs> you know, my my all-time favorite is gooseberry jam. Love gooseberry yeah, jam. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Are you not? Uh, okay, let's. Uh, there's a question on lupins. Hi, uh, uh, Peter. My lupins are very badly. I sprayed them for green fly, and I put slug pellets on, but all but no good. What would you advise? Uh, it is most likely slugs. I would say more than green fly. The green fly, you will you won't see the the you'll see the green fly physically. You'll see them in colonies on the stem. So if that's the problem, you'll see them. And in the first instance, I just prune off any infected stems. So most likely is slugs. Um, first of all, when you say you use slug pellets, just be very careful. And I've gone on about this ad nauseum, I suppose, on your program, Trish, about the importance of the right slug pellets. So don't use any of them containing methaldehyde because they're very damaging to the natural predators for the slugs, which are your birds and hedgehogs and even domestic pets are very vulnerable to those metaldehyde slug pellets. Do be very careful using them in the garden. In fact, don't use them in the garden. Um, but slug pellets containing iron phosphate or ferric phosphate are very, very effective uh, and safe to use. So so go for them in preference. Um, you could, what I've done around my my a lot of my plants at home is use this these pellets made from sheep's wool. So it's a byproduct of obviously sheep farming that the 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 wool can be used as a very effective barrier product. So you put it around the lupins, um, and the the slugs and snails can't get over it. It forms a, a a kind of a texture on the ground that they can't tolerate. They can't move over. So that's the, the most organic and environmentally sound thing you can do. And as of course those pellets break down, they they actually become a bit of soil conditioner as well. So get yourself some wood wool pellets. Um, now it is a barrier product. So any barrier product, what I mean by that, it's not a killer. It's just a barrier. So. When you're putting using a barrier product, you do need to be diligent that you don't leave any gap in it, that because they will find their way. And also, you need the barrier to come out as far as where the foliage is, because otherwise they'll just use the foliage as a bridge over it, if you know what I mean. Um, but I do find that very effective. You could try slug traps, which are the little bowls submerged in the ground, uh, which you can pour some beer into because the, the alcohol in the beer will kill them. Um, or you could just, as I say, use some of those ferric phosphate pellets. But I would be fairly confident with slugs and snails. Uh, and I take it that answer will probably work for Rachel as well. She says slugs and snails are eating my newly planted hosta and fascia japonica. I want to garden organically. I don't want to kill them. What tips do you have for keeping slugs and snails off without using pellets or killing them? So I take it that advice and, and uh, Rachel is yeah, going that, the right the way. Advice. But she's going the right way, isn't she? She wants to do it organically and that's what you're well, always promoting. Well, it's essential. I mean, if now more than ever, it's essential. And the, I do have a video up on my own Facebook page, Irish Gardener. You'll find it easy enough on Facebook or probably on YouTube, which outlines several organic and environmentally sound ways of dealing with slugs and snails, which covers a lot of what I just went through there. Okay. But it is, she, she, it's essential that we all start looking at organic and environmentally sound ways of, of gardening. And then another listener wants to know, is it okay to use two different blight protection sprays on potatoes? One type I can only use four times. I also have some dietane di- di- left. They've taken that off the market, haven't they? 
I certainly wouldn't be using Dietane 50 or anything like that. No, anywhere near something that I'm going to eat. Yeah. Now, I know there'll be other people who will disagree me, agree with me, but I certainly wouldn't be using it, uh, which is the only advice I can give. Um, in terms of blight prevention, prevention obviously is always better than cure. Uh, copper sulfate is probably my go-to weapon in the armory when it comes to potato blight, um, which is certified for use in organic gardening and organic farming, but under license, if you like, or under guidance. In other words, once or maybe twice a year. So I wouldn't be using, personally, is all I'm saying, I wouldn't be using uh, any chemical blight preventative on my potatoes and, and I probably wouldn't look at using two two products either so the, the best of all in terms of blight prevention is to use a blight resistant variety in the first instance because they are very successful some of those um, Peruvian varieties like Sarpomyra and things like that um, using copper sulfate then as I say just about once during the season can help uh, and if you see any sign of blight just a brown shriveled leaf anything like that just get out there quickly and remove it um, but no, I, w- I wouldn't look at using more than more than one product and okay. certainly not more than once or twice in the year, no. Okay, Tess, uh, just a final one. Is now the right time to cut back spring heathers? I trimmed them last year, but they were late flowering this year and the flowers only lasted a short time. Tess, I did my sa- the same myself just this weekend. So yes, if they finish flowering, a good rule of thumb with any heather is as soon as it finishes flowering, get out there and cut it back to stop it getting woody and leggy. So yes, I would okay. say yes. Okay, have you a busy week coming up? I were, we're back with the Ask the Gardener on Facebook every Friday at Brilliant. 1 o'clock, Trish. So if anybody has got gardening questions, tune in Facebook 1 o'clock on Friday uh, and get your questions into me. And also just give a quick shout out. I know I mentioned it last week, but very briefly, on the 19th, which is this Sunday, Nora Roach up there in Mallow has her garden open from 2 to 6 for Friends of Marymount Hospice. And the following weekend, the 26th, if you're in East Cork, in Carrigtool, Noel O'Keefe and Tony Barry, who are across the road from each other, fabulous gardens, both open for the hospice next weekend. So uh, I'm busy, but it seems that everybody in the garden is busy. And you, you love that going into view other people's gardens, don't you? You can learn so much from other for how other people what they do in their own garden. You get such inspiration, and I, I always admire the bravery of these people who open their gardens for such scrutiny. <laughs> and uh, it's like a glimpse into the soul, isn't it? When you're when you're walking yeah. into someone else's garden, yeah. So you're assume I so I assume you'd never open up your own garden then. I don't know if I'd be brave enough. No. <laughs> Okay, listen, pleasure as always to chat to you, Peter. We'll chat again next Wednesday. Thanks for that. Thanks, Thanks for joining. Good morning to you. Uh, good afternoon to you. That is uh, Peter Dowd of the theirishgardener.com. Uh, and a reminder of something actually we spoke about last week on the programme, Bella the Butterfly. They are hosting a free fairy garden party at Schliella in Churchtown. And that's happening this Saturday from 10am to 2pm. The day will include the launch of the new fairy garden at Schliella. There'll be dancing fairies, there'll be a fairy shop and there'll be mindfulness craft activities, breathing a meditation for uh, children and of course we reviewed the latest Bella the Butterfly book on the programme so it's all tied in with that so Schliella in Churchtown that sounds like a lovely morning next Saturday between 10am and 2pm that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 until then goodbye Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.